lot lately and a lot of things in a lot of areas. A lot of you already know you're, you're around me enough. Uh, but I found myself troubled by a lot of the things that I see in these days. And, uh, you know, I've, I've often uh, said to many of you, you know, that like Jeremiah, when God said, Jeremiah, what do you see? Well, you know, you can only answer back what you see. And uh, I find myself in, 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 in very troubled, very stirred in the spirit by the things that I see based on everything, based on what I see in Marble Falls. Uh, you know, seeing a lot of the different circles in Marble Falls, seeing a lot of the different things going on in Marble Falls, also seeing things nationally. Uh, man, there's a lot of gray out there. There's a lot of on-the-fence type stuff out there. There's a lot of uh, comfortable Christianity out there, and I, and I really think a lot of it, uh, especially the comfortable Christianity part, has our city by its throat. Here in Marble Falls, we've been tremendously blessed uh, to have a heavily uh, godly-influenced uh, uh, community. And I'm so appreciative and so grateful for it. Um, it, 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 but it. But it also has become too comfortable with the Lord. It reminds me of a story that takes place back in Samuel uh, where the Ark of the Covenant uh, has been left with a man named Eleazar. And as it's left with a man named Eleazar, it says it resided in his house for over 20 years. And as it sits there, it had it, it become a very whole, I mean, obviously it's the Ark of the Covenant, it is the very presence of God, and while it was at Eleazar's house, it's very holy, it's very, uh, uh, a very um, a scary kind of thing in one sense too, but while it was there, it blessed the house of Eleazar. While the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant was there, Eleazar's house was blessed. It was prosperous because God's Spirit was there. And he raised his kids around it. And he raised his, he had two kids, he raised them around it. Many of you know this story, you know where I'm going to go with it. But he raised these kids around it. I mean, think about it, they ate food around it. They uh, did whatever studies or they read or whatever they did, they did it around this ark that remained in their house during this entire time uh, until one day one of those kids got a little too comfortable there. And when they were moving the ark one day, he reached out to touch it, forgetting the reverence of it. And when he reached out to touch it, it killed him. Now, I'm not preaching doom and gloom today, but uh, there's a biblical precedent for what we see today. And if I don't say anything, uh, the way I feel about it at times, if I don't preach some of these things, if I don't say some things, we are going to talk about the gospel of Mark, I promise you. But I, I have to talk about some of this as, as we set up what we're going to talk about. I'm not trying to preach doom and gloom, but there's, there's this thing that's kind of the elephant in the room. And if I don't say anything, I feel like uh, biblically, like the death is on my hands. The death of these things or the, the cause or the outcome of these things is on my hands. I'm reminded this morning of the scripture of the burden of, of the watchman as described by Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. Verse 17 through 21, it reads, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Now, whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. If I, if I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you have saved yourself because you've obeyed me. If righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and ignore the obstacles I put in their way, they will die. And if you do not warn them, they will die in their sins. None of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn righteous people not to sin, and they listen to you and do not sin, they will live, and you will have saved yourself too. The watchman has a responsibility. We don't say that word too much anymore because we've lost the idea of what a watchman is for the church. 
uh, mainly because they're usually tore down, beaten down, or discredited. Uh, but these days, we do need watchmen. We do need watchmen that are watching things. And so to me, I feel like my calling's clear. I, I have to speak out on things. I have to say things that we have to navigate through. And the problem is navigating these things are, are kind of hard. Uh, especially, you, you want to do it in a way that's not uh, condescending. Uh, you want to you want to be able to to correct in a way that's not judgmental, or and all of that is like extremely hard. My goal this morning is to speak the truth in love and trust God with the rest. Now this morning I'm, I'm and I aim to do this very thing. Like Ezekiel, my hope is that you uh, hear and your hearts be spiritually fired up and that you would seek the Lord with an even greater passion. Amen. So we're going to begin. Mark chapter one, verses twenty one through twenty eight. That's where we're going to start. I haven't even made it out of chapter 1 yet. It's going to be a long road through Mark. Just so much there. 21 through 28. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in, a, in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nathers? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority? Uh, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That's where we're at this morning. I don't think we have to go very far in, in this book uh, to find plenty that stands out, uh, that begs to be dis, uh, discussed or dissected and chewed on. Uh, there's, th this is still chapter 1, and uh, one of the great things is we see Jesus uh, is in the church on the Sabbath. Now, I could have preached a whole sermon <laughs> on that very first statement, um, and I really like debated on whether... It, that was the thing I needed to sit on. Should we preach? Because Jesus, when it's time to be in the synagogue, is in the synagogue. Uh, and I think that he, I think the Bible presents the model by which we should, like Jesus attended church. <laughs> I mean, he read the scriptures. He listened to the scriptures. He attended these things. And there was a lot there. But I refrain because I think there's something greater that needs to be addressed. It's something the modern day church has been struggling with on a greater level. And so this is what I'm going to focus on. The Bible records that everyone was astonished at his teaching, and it actually says they were amazed by his works. Astonished and amazed. And this isn't a new concept in the church. Whenever God's doing a new thing, you can count on these two words showing up. Astonished or amazed or marveled. Any of these words are going to show up. And as a matter of fact, here in the book of Mark, there's going to be other times we're going to see it, and truthfully, if you count them, seven more times are we going to see the word astonished. Seven more times are we going to see the word uh, amazed. So it's, it's pretty established that the ministry of Jesus is astonishing, is amazing, is marvelous. All of those would be right. It's a supernatural ministry, and it's rooted in God. And if you keep right, reading right into the book of Acts, you're going to find that this particular aspect of the ministry of Christ carries forward into the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7, it says, They were all 
amazed. Talking about the people and everything that was going on at that moment, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for which Jesus prophesied when the people were, when they went to describe this event, it says, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? Because they were amazed at the things that was happening. It wasn't just a supernatural teaching. It wasn't just a supernatural miracle. It was all of these things combined. It was more than their sensory perceptions could like take in, right? And so when they saw people speaking in strange languages, when they saw the authority by which he spoke, when they, when they saw the miracles that he performed and the demons that he cast out, I mean, this guy is astonished. He's amazing. It's, it's, it's marvelous. And here's the thing. And yet we're really not amazed anymore all that much. Uh, because after all, it's Jesus. And if you walk with the Lord long enough, you're going to see something amazing and you're going to see something astonishing, right? I mean, we know this. This isn't something that we uh, uh, even talk about because it's something we've become accustomed to. So much so, like Elazar's kid, uh, we've lost reverence for it. (laughs) Uh, We've lost our reverence for what is holy and our spiritual sight to know the difference. So let me explain it kind of like this. Living in Marble Falls. I moved, I moved down here from East Texas, a little ways off in East Texas. And East Texas has its own beauty. I'll, I'll give it that. It does have its own beauty. But like when you come through Waco and you see how ugly all that area is, and then you come down in here, and like it's like the best feeling every time I come back from Dallas. I'm like, look at the hills again. Look how beautiful it is out here. Yeah, it's ridiculous expensive, but it's because it's so beautiful. It's so full of resources. I remember moving down here and really taking it in. I looked out at the landscape. I mean, I lived in Kingsland my first year, so we had to drive across Lookout Mountain. And every time I would drive across, like, I'm not getting tired of this. If you drive out Lookout and you look across the LBJ like that and you just see it, all, oh, it's just gorgeous. And especially when you drive across the 2900 bridge and you look over and you see, like, the, the mountain or the, the big hill right there as it reflects down into the water on a clear day. It's just, it's beautiful, right? There's all these rivers and hills and trees and there's wildlife all around. It's practically a Texas zoo out here. I mean, it just, everything that Texas has to offer, it's all out here. The whole scenery is captivating. So my first couple of years was just like, oh my gosh. And every year I really think I'm so blessed to be able to be here. Uh, but when I ask people about it that have lived here their whole life, they're completely oblivious. <laughs> They barely notice the trees anymore. They hardly ever see wildlife anymore. Uh, They can't see the beauty of this place because they've been here for so long it's lost its attractiveness. They live here because it's all they know. They can't even appreciate the very things that are around them because they're self-consumed. Everything is off of those. They can't appreciate where God has placed them. This is when our eyes really start to gaze. And if we're not careful, we start to look for something else to astonish and amaze us. God has supplanted some of these people right in the most beautiful place in all of Texas, man. And it's not enough. This is where we can become like those who chase after the new thing while being bitter about where God has placed us and to whom he's placed us around. This is where the green grass mentality sets in and we lust and long for something that we're not supposed to have. Hope you're following with me this morning. It's a dangerous place to be spiritually. And truthfully, we see it all over our churches and definitely in our community. We desire so much to be astonished and amazed that we've corrupted a lot of good things in the church today. If we were to put a side-by-side comparison to how scriptures describe the Christian walk and how we describe it today, the Christian walk, I think we'd be ashamed. 
And one of the things I said last week, it took 12 people who were radically willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And I'm not sure we could find 12 people today amongst our city that would go that far. People used to sell themselves into slavery to share the gospel. We used to have that mentality in the Christian community. It's not so much that way now. Uh, I'll never forget attending a service in North Texas one year and just grieving over the lack of reverence for the Lord. We walked into a room and it's all filled with these lights and smoke and the lights literally doing this whole motion thing and they were just pouring out the fog from all these fog machines. The worship team gets up on stage and the metrosexual look is like on full display. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that's where like the guys look kind of like the girls and you're not sure at like 20 yards if that's the truth. You can't tell either. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, the worship team gets up there. They're, they're doing their normal church services, high-end music production. And it's got this high-end speaker who comes out. He's like, he practically did everything but cartwheels. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, he's ready to go, like, over the top, you know. Um, and even then, have you ever noticed that it doesn't matter what we do anymore? We still can't amaze the crowd. Like, we keep trying to do more and more and more and more, but we can't amaze or astonish anybody anymore. We could get bigger buildings. We've tried to do everything, Right? Right? We've, we've seen it all, and this has caused ministry to change in America. I mean, this is the land of first world problems. That's like a whole trending thing now, first world problem, because your problems are nothing like the rest of the world. So we've had to deal with a culture that doesn't understand a third world problem. It's a first world problem. First world problem is my cell phone broke. Third world problem is I'm starving. You know, it's, see how contrary, see how night and day the culture is? And even in the church, the first world church compared to the third world church, Right? We have all the money, the greatest preaching, the greatest music, the greatest everything. Revival's happening where there isn't any of that. Where there isn't any of that. And let me tell you, a few things, for instance, and uh, I'm not trying to beat these things, but I think we have to take notice. And I'm not saying inherently any of these things are bad. What I'm saying is if we're not careful, the heart of it can get out there because we start to become callous to things. So we have to amp it up. We have to turn it up louder. You know, like, for instance, uh, I have to have the TV louder. Because the more louder it gets, that actually ruins my ears, so I have to turn it up even louder. See what I'm saying? There becomes a time where at some point I think we're working against ourselves, right? For instance, our worship experience has gotten away from us. You can't tell the difference now between a church service where Jesus is preached and a rock concert that could care less about telling anyone about God. Take a look at the, the photo. I showed this to Joy, and I was like, show me which one is the, uh, show me which one is the actual church. Or is there more than one? Maybe all of them is a church service. I mean, I do know. But show me the difference. Can you imagine any of those as a church service? Because they are. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. But which one is it? Which one is the world and which one is the church? Show me where one begins and one ends. Are any of these church services? When When did we start looking like the world? When did that become something that we needed to be? I'm reminded, David Wilkerson one time said this in a message on anguish, of all things. He prophetically called this type of conduct out saying this, I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God and obsession with entertainment in God's house. You show me the difference. Tell me where one ends and one begins. I'm not trying to, I've beaten a drum, I know that I beat a lot. 
but I can't astonish or amaze you. There's not enough lights that I can purchase. There's not enough technological things that I can create that's going to amaze you at all anymore. And the reason why is because we've already done it. We've already mimicked the things of the world. We have, you know what we found? It's still not working. Look at our country. Look at our community. Look, it's still not happening. Listen, there's always going to be a place for music in the house of God, but it's never going to be more important than Jesus. There aren't enough lights or smoke that can replace the Holy Spirit. And I'll keep saying it because it's true. I'm convinced that the more lights and smoke you have in your service, the less you have of the Holy Spirit. Can God exist in such a service? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's love is always poured out by his grace. And as long as they're a part of the remnant, who is the remnant? Those that are saved and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does God still show up when things are such so crazy and so awful? Because God's grace, God's grace allows his love to flow. God's love is always poured out by his grace. It's grace that is being extended to our churches right now in the hopes that God's love will wake up those who've gone numb who no longer can see the beauty of the simple things. I tell my wife she's the prettiest in the mornings when she has no makeup on. It's not that she can't be beautiful with makeup, but what I try to impress into her is I didn't marry her for all that makeup. I see her as she truly is, and she's beautiful as she truly is. What makes us beautiful, guys, is not how many lights and how much smoke we can put up here. What makes us beautiful is that we are saved and sanctified through the blood of Christ. It is Christ that is our beauty. It is Christ that is our glory. We have no glory. We can't, we can't build enough things to, build, to create glory. The only glory we have is the gospel. And here's another example. Have you ever seen an American mission trip today? <laughs> and believe me, some of these pictures are from mission trips. We've apparently combined mission trip with a vacation trip. Some of these are mission trips. Which one would you want to go on? The one where you get to like ride bikes out there in the African plains? How about where you just go surfing off the coast? Want to see the Aztecs? How about fishing? Want to go fishing? How about swim with the Great Whites out there in South Africa? You know, I mean, what, which one do you want to do? Because we can do all those on mission trips. We can go like feed kids for like three days, and then we can go have fun for three days. That's what we can do. So that way you get your little, I help somebody out in this world and feel better about myself. Oh, I don't mean to be so sarcastic. It's 50, 50% mission trip, 50% vacation. It's unreal today. They're... Literally people out there using mission trips as a way to stamp their passports and see exotic places. Listen, some of these photos are from mission trips. <clears throat> uh, and here's the thing. It never fails that I'll always see someone with photos like this, man. And they're like, oh, I'm feeding a kid one day and then I'm ziplining through the trees of Belize the next. Or I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm helping out building this and then I'm out uh, swimming with the great white sharks because this is awesome. I just spent $300 doing that on a awesome trip. Listen, I, I, I have a, there's a circle of pastors I follow, guys. And this is what I see when I see all these guys post stuff. It's crazy. And, and I, I'm always amazed. Like, dude, you just spent 300 bucks while you were building a home for people who don't have homes. You spent $300 and didn't have any conscience about that whatsoever to swim with Great Whites or to go surfing off the coast or something. Like, how could you even spend that money while you're around people who don't have homes? Like, was there any guilt part of you that like, man, I don't know if I, I mean, that seems luxurious. What, what was your first clue on that end, right? Instead of our life being radically shaped by seeing the other tragedy of, uh, 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 of, of other people's lives, 
We've Americanized the experience, and somehow we're not really moved at all. And if you're wondering how I can say all this, right, and it sounds like I'm sarcastic, or maybe, maybe you just got a thing for this, Pastor Jim. No, no, no. There's actual evidence that supports this. You know, when I was attending the Assemblies of God I, I, um, uh, schools, that, they, they have a, a school called the Global University where you can get your credentials and all that through, and they have uh, a certain packages that you take to get certain levels of ministry levels. So you have a credentialed ministry, you have a licensed ministry, you have an ordained minister. I took everything to be credentialed. Then once you go through the credentialing process, I took all the books and related to being a licensed minister of the Assembly of God. One of the books you have to study is missions. And the importance of missions. And in the book, in the book that I studied on the course on missions, it, it covers an, uh, an investigation that the Assemblies of God did into short-term mission trips and its effectiveness towards giving towards missions. Because that's why we do short-term missions, or at least that's the vision behind it, is so that if you can get an eye... Or, or some kind of personal connection between you and the mission trip and really see what some of these missionaries are doing, then you'll give more. You'll support them more. You'll help them more. You'll have a heart for them more. Now, their study found that on short-term mission trips do a great job of providing an environment team, like an environment for, to create a team atmosphere. Basically, like the things what you see on a retreat where we come together, it makes us stronger as friends because we've now shared an experience together. What they found is it absolutely creates a bond between those who go, the mission team going someplace. But this is also <laughs> what they found. Um, what they also found is that it did not increase one penny towards missions giving or missions awareness. They fully know that. Uh, uh, it blew me away because then my question was, then why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep spending or tell somebody you need $2,500 to go overseas because we want you to get a bird's eye view of this so that hopefully you'll have a heart of missions and bring that back. But we have done a study. This is the part they don't say, right? We have done a study and found out that's ineffective, but we're still going to do it anyway. Why? Why? That's my question is Why? Um, I mean, all I can think of is, you mean in the church we keep riding dead horses? Some of you older generation, you already know that we do. Have you asked the question as to why it's become this way? I mean, why has worship, along with the light show, become so popular to the point that people literally pick and choose churches, not upon the call of God, nor the taste of good doctrine, but rather by an audio-visual experience? Why have we promised a vacation along with our mission trips? Why have we exalted the pulpit to rock star status to the point that if they act humid at all and have any kind of flaw, we're immediately going to let go of them as a bad preacher? There is no more astonishment or amazement left in our giftings. So we've got to do something. We're struggling. The bad part is the church created a shock and awe culture, and now it has to live by it. When the Holy Spirit started to wait out, we don't want to admit this, but when it started to kind of wean out because there were lack of people praying, lack of people this, and listen, when the, when the Holy Spirit goes down, our giftings rise up. The same way in leadership, when a leader leaves, all leadership rises, good or bad. When there becomes a void in the church, other things try to come up and try to create the, the vacuum. They try to fill it, right? So as the Holy Spirit weans out because prayer is becoming less and less in church, our giftings are being magnified. We're preaching better than we've ever preached before. We're singing and doing music better than we ever have before. We build, I mean, monuments better than we ever have before. But the one thing we're struggling with is the Holy Spirit. The proof, look at our nation. 
Look. The world has seen it all. So what's next, right? When the makeup is rubbed off and our true self is real, what will happen then? I can tell you right now what I'm praying for. I'm praying that the rain can't come fast enough. That the refining fire of God can't come quick enough. What we need today is a good dose of brokenness. We need a strong case of humility. We need to be humbled, humbled back to God. Back to remembering that all you need, sounds cliche, but all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. We're prayerless and we're powerless and the proof is in our nation's division and our lack of the Holy Spirit preaching to address it. Come on, I talked about this last week. We're all complainers. When to get up and do something, preach something, brother. If God's given you a pulpit, why haven't you done it, used it to make a change? Why do you keep preaching like nothing's happening in the world? Nothing's driving me more crazy right now. Listen, my pastor brothers complain. When you should be preaching to address, why are we divided? Why, why has our country become this way? And until we take responsibility, can I tell you right now, it's this way because I haven't preached it enough. I haven't preached a hard enough message. I haven't done my fair share of getting the word out there, letting them know that this is who Jesus is, man. It means that I've got to take some responsibility for some of that. I have to own some of that. We're scared to address and correct people. And for, God, for that, God is going to do what he did in the days of Samuel. Raise up a new generation and do a new thing. If you remember the, uh, the book of Samuel, Eli. What did it say about Eli? He had two sons that were scoundrels. They were in the ministry, and they were not right. And what did he do? Nothing. So what did God do? Raise up another generation. God is on the precipice of doing a new thing. Why? Because when the gospel in our lives fails to astonish and amaze people, right? There becomes a danger now. There becomes a significant danger why aren't we seeing the supernatural? Why aren't we seeing miracles? Why aren't we? We should be a, a people that when we don't experience or don't see the Holy Spirit, especially manifest, uh, manifest, manifest within this church, we should be troubled. We should be bothered. We should be broke to our knees and crying. I once heard a story about an explorer and an Indian. And the Indian had taken the explorer uh, he says, you know, to a place he wanted to show him that was magnificent. and uh, uh, Basically, it's what we know as now as Ni Niagara Falls. And he takes him out there to the edge of this bluff. And he's, you know, this, this explorer, when he sees it, I mean, come on, it's Niagara Falls. I mean, wouldn't you be in like all of the whole thing, right? And so the, the running of the water was almost deafening to the ears. I mean, it's a roar, right? And he's just awestruck. And he's looking at the explorers, like just looking at it, just in awe. And just the whole majestic uh, uh, experience of it all. And then a few minutes into to just gazing out, and the Indian taps him on the shoulder. And he, and he looks around. And the Indian tells him, we've got to go. The enemy's coming. And he goes, the he looks at him and he's like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? I can you hear anything? He said, man, didn't, and the Indian tells him, you didn't hear the twig snap? Church, are we made so spiritually deaf by our growing fascination with being entertained that we failed to hear the enemy approach? Have you been so shocked and awed by these vacation mission trips or these uh, unbelievable worship experiences that you never hear or see anything that God really does? We've arrived at a culture that's so absolutely lost that it can't even decide what real biology is. It doesn't know male from female. Did you ever think, especially my older generation, did you ever think you were going to grow up to see a government a government completely confused as to the biology of a human being. I don't know about you, but I took for granted 
that it was obvious what a boy was and it was obvious what a girl was. I did not know that there was going to be a generation coming that would struggle in that. I thought, I, I was looking for, the, I'll be honest, I was looking for the more complex things like bad doctrine or teachers that, you know, were just prosperity type teaching and all that stuff. While we were so busy looking at that, the devil snuck right in. And man, he's perverted a generation to be confused about who they are. What's the first thing he's done is robbed them of their identity. That was that whole first metrosexual look that came in. I'm going to rob men of their masculinity. That's the first thing I want to do. And then when we can't tell men from women anymore, then I'm going to confuse them. Well, I don't know which one's a boy and which one's a girl. We're struggling. We're struggling. I never thought I would see that. We have a generation here that can't see the wrong. I mean, right now they're fighting like crazy in our nation, man, over abortion, things like that. They don't see anything wrong. They're, we are a nation divided, almost 50-50, with a 50% really believing there's nothing wrong with killing babies out of convenience. Well, what about if you get raped? Listen, that's like 2%. So the majority of people who have abortions, it's more out of convenience than it is about any other issue. And they don't care, man. We're divided to the core, and there's no one that will be the solid rock to which we can turn to. Come on. It's, it, uh, the church is sometimes, man, we're almost, our desire is to be so culturally relevant, so culturally like, okay, we want to be popular, we want to look like the world, we want them to think they can just come in because we're just like you and all those things like that. We want to be so culturally relevant that we've lost our identity to who we are. So that now as the world looks into the church for leadership, they can't tell where the church ends and the world begins. So they look at us and they see the way we do work. And they're like, oh, it looks like our concert. I haven't found anything uh, that filled that hole. I've been to concerts that look just like that. That didn't fill me up. I'm still lost and still desperate. Well, I've got this guy uh, speaking. He's like a rock star looking dude. He's, he's up there on the stage being high motivation and all this stuff. I know, but we've got a lot of self-help guys that for so much money you can... I mean, somebody sent me a link the other day and said, what do you think about this? And this guy professes in this video, he's like, man, what we need is this. And he doesn't say exactly what it is, but he starts to like elude to it. And it's like, man, and it's like the key that's going to change everything, right? And then, and then you get to the end, you see what he's doing. He's just selling his book. I was like, so let me get this straight. You have, uh, you have a truth within you that God has given you that you believe and you are leading me to believe that could set people free. And for 15 bucks, I can have it. Hey, welcome to Christianity today, guys. I mean, come on, man. What do you think Mardell's makes money off of, guys? I, I, I don't get me wrong. I buy stuff from Mardell's. But make no mistake, we, that's a very careful thing. You realize what Jesus got mad at when he was kicking out people out of the temple? They were buying and selling, but we wonder what they were buying and selling. Were they buying and selling like devil stuff that was right there in the temple? No. They were selling like turtle doves because you need to have a sacrifice. You're, that's part of the law. So rather than actually you being inconvenienced by bringing your own animal as a sacrifice, you can just buy one right here. Something for which you didn't take care of. You have no hours invested into. It means really nothing to you. So you could just buy it right here and give that to the priest and your sacrifice is good. It's the shortcut way of you don't have to actually do anything and still be saved. That's what he got mad at. We, we perverted what the gospel is. And the thing is, what drives me crazy is that we just keep preaching. Like I, Every time I see somebody else's sermon series, like, oh, you know, seven ways to do this or ten ways. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
At what point does the world burning outside of abortion, at what point does the whole biology issue here, at what point does this fact that we can't tell what the world and the church, we can't tell where one ends and one begins, at what point do we start preaching to the things that we could see? And all of you know it. Like, I didn't share with you something that that's blew your mind today. I know that. But why don't we address it? Why don't we say anything? Why don't we have confidence? I'm, I'm, I struggle with it. I, I, there has to be something that sets us apart. We should be astonished and amazed, yes, but not at the wickedness of the world, at the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, at the countless miracles that we see through the works of his hands, at seeing the saving power of the cross, seeing people's lives turned around. Man, that is a miracle. As a great man once said, what we should want to see, what we should desire to see, and the reason that the gospel is so great is not because Jesus came, uh, uh, Jesus, what did he say? Jesus didn't come to make bad men good, he came to make dead men live. That every time somebody says yes to Jesus and they come into the changing power of the gospel, God